Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Doxa, this is where we're going to be camping out over the next three weeks as we begin a new teaching series today that we've titled, In the Good of Madison. All right, if you're, if you're new, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. It's, it's great to have you here, part of our, our family gathering today. If, if you're tuning in online via the, the live stream, it's, it's a shame that you can't be here, but we, we get it, and we cannot wait to the day that we can all be together again as the Doxa family, but it's great to be gathered with you virtually today. Because here's what we're, what we're doing. You know, our propensity as a church is just to go through books of the Bible, Right? When we gather, we, we go through books of the Bible. We just finished up a 12-week study in the book of James. In a few weeks, we're going to jump into a long journey of, of studying the, the book of Genesis. But for the next three weeks, all right, we're going to kind of deviate from our, our normal cadence of, of going book by book, kind of verse by verse. And we're going to lean into the idea and the question of, like, why do we exist as a church? And maybe more specifically, like, how do we exist as a church? And so as we, as we get into this, guys, let me just remind you why Doxa Church exists. And we talk about this all the time, right? That we exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And really the, the heart over the next three weeks is just to get before God and ask him through his word to give us like a kingdom view, to give us a, a biblical understanding and picture of what it means to be for the good of Madison, because guys, I want you to understand this. What I just said is, is not just a, a mission statement to be memorized and repeated, but really it's a biblical conviction to be taken hold of and lived out. The good of Madison. And with this, guys, here's the key question. We have to ask, like, what does it mean to exist for the good of our city? Because we talk about this all the time, right? You've, you've heard me say this over and over again, for the glory of God and the good of the world around us. But what does that mean? What does that actually look like? And as you think about that, here is what I absolutely love. See, part of being a a Bible-saturated church, one of our core values here at Doxa, means that we don't have to dream up a picture of this. We don't have to make like a scheme and a strategy. We don't have to be like super smart or innovative to figure that out. And there should be a healthy amen because you're looking at me on the stage and you're like, you certainly don't have that. But what we do have is we have the Bible. And God speaks to us through his word and he gives us what it looks like to exist for the good of the world around us. And this is exactly what Micah 6, 8 is all about. Listen again, here it is. He has told you, oh man, he has told us, doxa, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now, This is honestly one of the most significant and profound verses in the entire Bible because here what God does is he condensed the spirit of the entire Old Testament law into three simple principles. And as the prophet Micah is is speaking to the people of God, he's really just issuing a warning of judgment on the people because of the way that they're living. And as he does this, he really just exposes the injustice of God's people and what they are doing and how they are hurting and they are oppressing people. And as Micah is, is issuing this warning of judgment coming because of their way of life, the, the people ask a question which precedes verse 8. That in verses 6 and 7 of Micah chapter 6, 
The people essentially ask, okay, like, oh, all right, that seems like a big deal. Like, what do we do? Right? They're like, okay, so God's mad at us. Okay, I'm not sure exactly. So how do we escape from this? Like, what do we need to give? Do we need to do more burnt offerings? Do we need to, like, give our more money? Like, give our stuff? Like, what does God want from us? And Micah responds with a simple statement. Act justly. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. And Doxa, in this, God is essentially saying that my people are not people who play at religion, but my people are people who love me, and because they love me, they want to be like me, which means that they will love and serve the people around them that I love and that I serve, because when this is true, then their lives and their families and their nations will reflect me to the world that I love. And if you think about it, right, we just got out of the book of James. This was kind of like the overarching message of James. We spent 12 weeks going through this, and James kind of said over and over and over again that genuine faith is shown not by what we just say, but how we live. That it's not just orthodoxy, but it's orthopraxy. It's not just believing the right things, but it's living our lives in light and in congruence with like, what we believe. This is what he's saying. And so the goal of this series is really just to put us all as a church family in a place to just experience God in such a way that we will be more conformed to the image of Jesus, which will result in us living the life of Jesus on the stage of our lives, which will bring good to the city that God has us in, in Madison, Wisconsin. So three weeks to talk specifically about the good of Madison. And here's how we're gonna do this. Each week, we're gonna take one word from Micah 6.8. Justice, kindness, humility. Today, we begin with justice. So grab your Bible, and I want you to find your way to Isaiah chapter 58. If you're new and you've been coming around and you don't have a Bible, this is what we do. We open up the Bible together, and so on your way out, we'd love to give you one as a gift. You can stop by the Welcome Center right on your left as you walk out. There's a wall full of Bibles. Grab one. Anyway, you can follow along with us, but Isaiah chapter 58, as we lean into this topic of justice, let me just say this. The Bible doesn't just talk about justice in like one specific area, but justice is littered through. It's like a, a line that goes through the entire Bible. And we could go to so many different passages throughout the Bible, but today for, to, we get like a powerful picture of how God thinks about justice and in turn, how we should think about justice and how we should live in light of that. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 58. And as we read this, guys, we, we heard from that video kind of what's going on. But God is, is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah, and he's warning them about their sin and about the injustice that they've been going through. That these people that Isaiah is talking to, they're, they're fasting they're drawing near to God, they're being very religious, they're following the, much of the law of the Old Testament, but they were missing something that is at the heart of the law, justice. These, these people, they, they fasted and they observed the Sabbath, and while they did those things, they were oppressing the poor. They said, yeah, we're really religious, we will do the Sabbath. You told us to do it, we will do this, but you know what, if everybody takes a day off, and I know that we're supposed to have everybody kind of just have a day of worship and rest, the Sabbath, if we do that, we're gonna lose a lot of money, so we will be really religious. We'll take a day off, we'll take the Sabbath, we'll pursue you, but the poor people we have work in our fields to get us money, they're gonna work. And God has something to say to that. Listen to this, Isaiah 58, we're just gonna read it. Cry aloud, 
Do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. In such the fast that I choose, is such the fast I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to, and to break every yoke. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Now let's get to work. All right? The first thing I want to do as we lean into this topic of, of justice is talk about what justice is not. Three things for you to know. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. The first thing is this, is justice is not a culturally contrived concept. Look back at verse one. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sin. Here's the question. Who is speaking here? Not a trick question. God, right? And you're like, oh, I thought this was gonna be more, it's so simple but so incredibly important as we talk about this topic of justice, and here's why. Because as we get into this, we need to recognize that, that the term justice is really just a hotly charged, loaded topic that is all over our culture right now. That even as I say the word justice and I say social justice, there's so many different things that so many different people could be thinking about. Some of you maybe are like, okay, what is he gonna say about social justice? Right, that social justice is, is really just a, a really vague term. It's unquestionable to some, but it arouses suspicion in other people. That for some Christians, like if you don't like the idea of social justice, then other people will look at you, other Christians might even look at you and just assume that, okay, they don't like social justice, they don't like that, so they must be into racism and abortion and they don't care about sexual assault, they don't care about inequality, they don't really don't even care about the Imago Dei in general. I mean, and then conversely, if you speak positively of the term social justice around other Christians, they'll look at you and just assume, okay, that, that guy must hug trees and hate police officers. The truth is, the term justice has really no shared meaning in our culture today, or at least no precise definition that we, we all agree on. Culture, politics, opinions, have all made this a very hotly charged topic in our world today. And the reality is that we all need to know is that there are some really big differences between cultural social justice and heavenly biblical justice. And here's what I'll say to this. I do have my concerns with the term social justice because of all that it connotes in our crazy culture today. But what if we press less for a culturally driven definition of justice and lean more heavily into a more biblically defined understanding of it. That makes sense? Guys, this is what we do. This is what we do. 
We hold the Bible in our hand and we ask God that as we talk about justice, we're, we're not gonna look to culture. We're not gonna look to politics. We're not gonna look to sociology. We're not gonna look to people's opinions, but we're gonna look to God through his words. And we just need to know, Doxa, that justice flows from God's heart and character. Did you know that? That God in character is just. This is who he is, God is just. In being the just one, he defines justice for us. I mean, Isaiah 55 comes to mind, if you're familiar with this, that we, God says, you all have thoughts and ways about things, and the truth is, every single one of us, we have thoughts and ways about how we view life and go about life, but God says in Isaiah 55, your thoughts and your ways are not my thoughts and my ways, but my thoughts and ways are actually higher than yours. And so this is what we do as Christians. We look to the Bible, we look, open up our ears and let God speak to us. And even as we approach the topic of justice, this is what we're doing. And so I just want you to say this, okay? No matter how you feel when you hear the word justice, your thoughts, I'm just gonna ask you, for this time, can you just lay them down and open up your hands and just say, God, speak to me through your word and help me to know how you think about this and how I should think about this. Now, the second thing that justice is not is this. Justice is not a means of salvation. Look again at verse one. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people, I want you to circle my people in your Bible. Another question that we have to answer is this, is who are God's people? Answer, those who have been justified by the work of Jesus through faith. And justification is this theological concept that has massive eternal significance for every one of us. And here's why this is so important, okay? All other religions of the world say this. Live as you ought to, then God will accept and bless you. All other religions, apart from Christianity, say that. Live as you ought to, then God will accept and bless you. Christianity, the gospel says no, that's not actually the way it works. Receive God's acceptance and blessing as a gift through Jesus' work on the cross, and it's only then that you will be able to live as you ought to. Christianity categorically stands completely on its own from every other religion in the world. These are two utterly different approaches to God, that salvation is not based on any work that we do, but the work that Jesus has done for us. And this is the doctrine of justification, that our justification comes only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, irrespective of any of the good works that we do, including doing justice. And I, I reinforce this, like we talked about this as, as the elder team, like I don't know if Doxa needs to hear this, Right, because we, we talk, we understand the Bible, we've talked about justification, we know we're saved by grace through faith, but this is so important to note as we talk about justice because doing justice in many ways has become kind of like the new legalism. Right, that Christians through the years have, have taken a really good thing, a, a godly thing, a God-originated thing like justice and they've elevated it above the saving thing of the gospel. And so doing justice is not about obtaining salvation, but Doxa, hear this. It's evidence of the salvation that you say that you have. Let that sink in. This is James. James chapter two, do you remember this? 
Kind of like his thesis statement. What did James say? Faith without works is dead. That we aren't saved by any good works that we do, but we're saved by Jesus' works, but he saves us for good works to continue what he started in our world. And so justice is, is not culturally contrived. It's not a means of salvation. And finally, here's the third thing. Justice is not negotiable. It's not negotiable. And so while it's not a means of salvation for the Christian, doing justice is not optional. Doxa, doing justice is not optional for the Christian. Again, this is James. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but true saving faith never remains alone. This is what James says, good works, works of Jesus, justice. This is how James speaks of this in the context of helping the poor and the oppressed. When we do these good works, it's evidence of the faith that we claim to have. And so James says, if there's not that, then you might wanna question your faith. So look back to Isaiah 58, verse two. God is addressing his people through the prophet Isaiah, and as he does this, he's, he's describing these people here. Look what he says. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways, and if they, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So these people, they're, they're worshiping God. They're seeking God. They're drawing near to him. And even more, we, we see that they're, they're fasting. Verse three, we have fasted, God, we've fasted and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And so these are very religious people that, that God is talking to. They're, they're seeking God, they're making sacrifices, they're doing all the festivals and the feasts and, and even says that they're doing this probably more than they needed to because it says, Look back, they, they're doing it daily. Very religious people. And they weren't even just religious, but they thought that they were very, it appears that they're very ethical and moral people because verse two says that they were eager to know God's ways. And they were a nation that did righteousness. So these were passionate people who were very religious. They, they were very eager to know God's ways. They're, they're reading their Bible, they're praying, they know all the cool new Christian songs from Maverick City Worship and they're, they're blasting it, they're doing all of this stuff. Very religious. But despite all this, what does God say? Verse one, Isaiah, cry out. Cry out to them and tell the people of their injustice, their transgressions their rebellion, their sin. Now, I just want you to put yourself in these people's position, all right? I mean, try and do this. They're probably just completely taken back and being like, what are you, what are you talking about? I mean, they're thinking, we've, we've fasted, we've, we've prayed. God, why are you, why could you, how could you possibly be mad at us? We've, we've done everything right, everything. What do you, what do you what's your problem? And God says in verse six, look, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And here's what God is saying, that these people, they, they seem to be doing everything right, but God says to them, in effect, that if you think that, that you have like a close relationship to me, this dynamic faith, just like we talked about with James, if he thinks that you, you have this, 
but you don't have a relationship with the poor and you don't have a heart to help the poor in the vulnerable people among you, you are mistaken. You may not have a relationship with me because my people have my heart and my heart is to exist in this way. This is what God is saying. And he says this, guys, this is throughout the entire Bible. The entire Bible. For example, in Zechariah chapter seven, it's gonna come up here on the screen. Here's what God says to his people. Say to all the people of the land of the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? He says in verse eight, here is what you need to do. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor. I mean, in Amos chapter five, God says this. God speaks through the prophet Amos and and tells the people, he's like, I don't want your offerings. He says, I don't want your worship songs, no matter how good you think they are. Here is what I want. And this is what Amos says in chapter five. He says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God is saying, be like me. I am a just God, and if I am your God, doing justice should be part of who you are. But these people, justice was not part of who they were. And they were like the people that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 29, 13. That these people who are showing like a lack of concern for the poor, it's a sign that though they may honor God with their lips, listen to this, they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. It's hypocrisy. And over and over again, God is saying, if you think you're seeking me and if you think you're loving me, but you're not helping the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed, there's something wrong with your heart and there's something very wrong with your relationship with God. And if you read the Old Testament, you see the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, all say, if we're not intensely concerned with what Bible teachers call the quartet of the vulnerable, I don't know if you've heard about this, but the quartet of the vulnerable is just simply to say the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. That if we're not intensely concerned with these types of people, these vulnerable people, it's a sign that our heart is not right with God. Because doing justice is not negotiable for the Christian. Because to love God and to have a relationship with him means that we will have the heart of God, which will lead us to do justice. And maybe you're thinking, Rob, that's the Old Testament. Like we all know, the New Testament is different. When Jesus came, he flipped the script and there's, this isn't the language anymore. Is that true? Doxa, is that true? No. I want you to listen to Jesus. Matthew 23, here's what he says to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's the same language. You're saying one thing, your heart is far from me. You're doing all these religious things. What are they doing? You're giving a tenth of your spices. Wow, you're sacrificing to the Lord. You're doing the religious thing. Mint, dill, and cumin, but here, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Because Jesus does the exact same things that the prophets do throughout the Old Testament. Even James that we just got out of, right? Chapter two again, faith without works is dead. He's saying if, if there's no evidence of your faith, it might not be faith. 
And he's saying this in the context of the vulnerable. I mean, look it up, verse 16 of chapter 2 of James. This is what he's saying. The message is clear throughout the Bible that if we neglect justice and do not care for the vulnerable and the poor, it shows that we really don't have the heart of God. That justice is a really big issue to God, and it's at its heart a gospel matter. Doxa, we can't downplay the importance of justice. Okay? Even for some of you Christians that are really in, this is the interesting part, Christians that are really into justification today really don't seem to care a whole lot about justice. And then there's a lot of people over here that care a lot about justice, but they don't really care about justification. Okay? And this is just wrong thinking. Because if we understand justification, we understand how it leads to justice. They're not in odds with each other. They, they complete, it, it doesn't make sense. Listen to this, Christian, I wanted just to talk to you. One commentator I read this week, he said it like this, and I, and I quote, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have already been the recipient of God's justice, which was satisfied by the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. You have been declared not guilty for your sin, and you have received the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. In an unjust world, God commands us to be dispensers of justice to those around us as evidence of what we have truly received. Doing justice is not negotiable. It's evidence of true saving faith. Now, we hear this, and maybe you're like, okay, ease up. Okay, you're going 100 miles an hour. You're talking too fast, too loud. I got it, okay? It's a big deal, important, way bigger than I thought. Okay, what do I do? Like, what is justice? Isaiah gives us three things, at least three things. There's probably way more, but three things that he gives us here about what justice is. Equality, advocacy, generosity. First thing, doing justice is equal treatment. Look at verse seven. God is talking about justice. Here's, here's what he says. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And look at this. And I want you to underline this next part in your Bible. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh, from your own flesh. And here's what you need to know about this, guys. When, when God says to, to give food and shelter and clothes and money to the, the, the destitute, all right, what he's doing is he's saying that this, you should do this because you shouldn't turn away from your own flesh and blood. And what he's saying is that all of humanity is together, that we're all equal. We're all valuable because we're made in the image of God. That everyone, regardless of race, in gender, in class, in income, has dignity, value, and just intrinsic worth. Not because what they do, not because of what they have, but because of who they are. This goes back to the, the, the theological concept of the Imago Dei, which we're gonna get into as we start to study Genesis. That we're created in the image and the likeness of God with value, every single person in this world regardless of anything. In Genesis chapter nine, God says if anyone sheds the blood of any other human being, that he will require that blood of your hand. Why? Because every human being is made in the image of God, equal. And maybe you, you hear this and you're like, well, this is totally obvious, like everybody knows that. Like, sure, we're all equal. We're in this together, like one race, like humanity. In the Guys, this was not obvious. Right? When people heard this, this was not obvious. This was a tribal culture where it was all about bloodline and family. And so you took care of the people that were like you. 
People that look differently than you, no, not so much, but the people that were like you, the people that were your family, the people that were in your bloodline, these were the people that you cared for. And God says, no, 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 no. You're all in this together. You're human beings. I've made every single one of you. There's equality here. And guys, this is where our world gets the idea that there is equality of all people, right? It's not politics. It's not culture. It's not people, somebody sitting in a room sometime and be like, you know what? I think all people are, no, God gave us this. This is where we got it. And the truly sad thing is that, guys, this is not obvious to so many people in our world today. Which is why we have so many problems and so much injustice. But God reinforces this truth throughout the Bible. And as we listen to what God says, we could spend hours talking about this. But we're talking about social and racial equity. And this is why justice is ultimately a a gospel issue. This is why our world is so unjust, because our world doesn't honor God, doesn't love God, doesn't have God's heart, and sin has messed up everything and is running rampant in destroying everything. And people don't see other people that are different than them in this way, valuable, equal, deserving. I mean, what would happen, guys? What would happen if our world, all of a sudden tomorrow, we understood the Imago Dei, that everybody is created in the image of God? What would happen? Crazy different, right? I mean, you think about all the racial injustice that happened over the last several months. That stuff doesn't happen in a world that understands the image of God on people. And this is why racism is completely anti-God. This is why racism is anti-gospel. It's totally antithetical to who God is. This is why the unequal treatment of the rich and the poor is anti-God. This is why any system of justice or government in which decisions or outcomes are determined by how much money a person has is really just an odor in a stench before God. This is why unfair business practices that favor a certain class of people is unjust. We're made in the image of God. Doing justice is fighting for equal treatment of people. Secondarily, justice is advocacy for the vulnerable. How you doing? Are you with me? Okay. As we lean into the biblical idea of justice, we learn that we need to treat everyone equal. But what we see in the Bible is that the vulnerable populations among us, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the immigrant, they're kind of special objects of concern to God. Hear that. And we see this kind of, as we've gone through Isaiah 58, as we've referenced other passages, that God seems to have a special concern for these types of people. And if you know your Bible, which is this why you need to know your Bible, so you know how to think rightly about the world, if you know your Bible in Leviticus 19.15, we know that we're not to show partiality to, to any person. But we also know in places like Isaiah 1 and Psalm 41 that we're to have special concern for the powerless. Listen to Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, that was on this video. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. 
Now, do you understand what this is, Doxa? This isn't like a, a suggestion, right? I mean, this is a command of God. He tells us to do this. But if we're a Christian, we're called to this. And like God, we should have a special concern for the poor and the marginalized among us. Because as you read the Bible, have you ever noticed that the language of the Bible, it doesn't say to speak up for the rich and the powerful. Does it? No. It says to speak up for the poor and the vulnerable. God says that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father to the fatherless. Right? The orphan. God says that I'm a husband to the widow. These, these vulnerable populations, God speaks, to, and, and guys, it's not a special concern because these people in power and that are rich and they're wealthy, it's not because that they mean any less to God, but it's because they don't need you to talk up and speak up for them because they have a voice. They have power. But the orphan is not heard. The poor, the outcast, they don't have a voice. And God says to speak up. We just, need to re- we just need to understand, guys, this, this reality that because our world is so broken with sin, the playing field is not level. And if we don't advocate for the poor, there will not be equality. And in this aspect of justice, we're, we're seeking to give more, more social, financial, cultural capital to those who have less. And what this means is that to do justice according to the Bible is not to just treat everybody equal, but for the vulnerable population, we should go beyond equal treatment and do some things for those people that you wouldn't do for other people because they don't need it. Does that make sense? This is what God is is saying to us to do. And so justice is equal treatment. It's special concern for the vulnerable And the last thing I'll hit on is this, is that justice is generosity. And this is all over the Bible. But back again to verse six. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. God is saying, do justice. Verse seven, here's what it is. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And then skip down to verse 10. It means to pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted. And so you ask that question, okay, well, what does it mean to, to do justice? What does it look like for me to do justice? Guys, it's, it's really just to share what you have. It's to be generous. Again, I know you thought we were moving out with James, right? But this is James, right? This is James chapter five. We, we just went over this. And it's not just like giving your money and dropping a coin here and there. It's not just that, but verse 10 says to give yourself. God says to pour yourself out. This means to, to have your life be, be part of it, to have this captured your heart like you have a desire within you that you're really getting your hands dirty. Just like the Jesus that we say that we love and we worship, we're to be like him and who poured himself out for us. Because when, when I say, when God says to be generous, all right, do you understand that the only reason that he can say this is because of the truth that we studied in James chapter one? I love how God brought these two series together. Like we didn't plan this, but it's just a perfect continuation, okay? But James chapter one, do you remember what he said? Everything that we have is a gift of God. 
everything. Now we, people who embrace like the American dream, we, we don't tend to think of it like that, right? Because we think everything we have is because I worked really hard and I deserve it and it is mine. Bible says no, it's a gift. You put some sweat equity into it, but ultimately God gave it to you. And that's why God can say, give it away. Help people. All through the Bible. And this is what Jesus says. He says, don't store up your treasures in heaven. Like you can't take all the stuff that you have with you when you die. But what you can do is you can pass it on ahead of you by being generous and giving to those who are in need. And as you look at the rest of Isaiah 58, we're running out of time, okay? The rest of this text is really just a promise of the good things that will happen in and through our lives. That God says, when you live this way, when you live the way that I've told you to live, you're actually gonna be blessed individually, but you're gonna be blessed corporately. Like the world will get better. Look what he says. He says, when you live like this, when you live like Jesus, then verse eight, we will be a light in the darkness. There will be healing for wounds. There will be righteousness in front and the glory of God behind. Verse nine, we will have God who hears when we cry to him. Verse 11, we will have satisfaction for our souls in scorched places and broken places. Our very bones will be made strong for battle. We'll be so watered by the Lord that we become a spring of water for others to drink from and find refreshment. Verse 12, and we'll be used by God. Listen to this, we will be used by God to rebuild what has been destroyed to make a place of life and hope for the glory of God and the good of the world. Doxa, is this not a beautiful description of what we would like to experience as a people here in Madison, Wisconsin? I mean, because this is the perspective that we need to have. This is God's heart. God is teaching us to be a generous church. And as a church, we are like aggressively pursuing being the good, being for the good of Madison as we seek to get involved with like the fabric of our city for the sake of justice and helping to bring heaven to earth. In Madison, as in heaven. Now, here's how I'll end. I want you to write this down. Because Monday is the proof of Sunday. Just think about that. James chapter one. What does he say? Don't just hear the word of God. Do it. And in your doing, you will be blessed. If you hear and you don't act, James says in chapter one, you're actually deceived. And he goes on to chapter two saying your faith might be dead. Monday is the proof of Sunday. I read an article this week. And the author pointed out that it would be much easier if the words of God said to love justice. Because it's way easier to love justice than to do justice. Right? I mean, it's much easier to, to go on a social media rant about injustice than it is to make a meaningful action to stop it. Ranting costs us literally probably nothing except for people getting mad at you because you're obnoxious on social media. 
right? That was my attempt at humor, but you're not laughing because we probably all do it, okay? (laughs) But doing justice will cost us. Guys, it will cost us because we cannot do justice without being around and loving and giving ourselves and pouring ourselves out to real people that need help just like Jesus did. And so maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking, okay, well, what do I do? What do I do? Because honestly, Isaiah 58 doesn't give us a specific answer, but it does lay the groundwork for caring about this question. It's a big deal. It's the right question to ask. What do I do? And here's what I'll tell you to wrestle with as you pray about this. Because not every Christian needs to do everything, but every Christian needs to be doing something. It says the right thing about your relationship with God. So there might be a tension like you're being like, okay, I gotta do so many different things and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's overwhelming. Not everybody needs to do everything, but everybody should be doing something and be ready for anything. That type of person. And we have things as a church that we're running. We're running hard after to do justice alongside God in our city that are gonna be much more visible in the weeks to come to help you get involved for the good of Madison. And as a church, we're gonna seek, seek to keep acting on our faith But here's what I'll tell you, Doxa. Listen to this. Dream a dream. Dream a dream for you, for your family, for your friends, of how you can be helping the oppressed, feeding the hungry, giving the homeless shelter, and clothing the naked. Ask yourself, like, how can I give myself to these things? Lisa and I have been talking about this. Like, this is like, you know... (laughs) I get wrecked when I have to get up here and teach. And this week we've been talking about, okay, what do we, how do we do this? It's the right question. And I want you to know this, because as we wrap up, as you think about this and pray about this, this is not about guilt and shame, but this is about grace and conviction. Guilt and shame will not bring about a lifestyle of loving people in this way. The last couple months have proved it to me. A couple months ago, everybody that I follow on social media had an opinion and a word to say about justice. Everybody. As the months went on, I don't know if I see, I have like three people that are talking about it. It's because guilt and shame can move us to action for the immediate but won't sustain us for the future. Like we can guilt and shame people and like get on social media and say, you should be doing this. And we say, okay, like I'll start doing it. But the problem is, is like we don't have a heart for it. The answer is not guilt. The answer is grace. Look at verse 14 of Isaiah 58. This is how he wraps up. He says, he's talking about the Sabbath and he says, take delight in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. This will change your heart. That when we truly delight in the Lord and experience Jesus' loving work for us, justice will begin to flow from us. Throughout our lives, sustained. It's a natural cause and effect relationship. And guys, this is why we always say it's all about Jesus. Because if you see Jesus as just someone dying for all the people of the world, that makes him a great example. But if you see Jesus dying for you, Romans 5, 8, while you were still stuck in your sin, when you were an outcast, 
when you were vulnerable because sin is killing you, when you were spiritually poor and broken, Jesus came in, moved towards you, gave everything to justify you, to save you. When you see Jesus like that, that will burn the shape of a cross into your heart and you will be able to live like this. It's grace that changes us. It's grace that sustains us. And as grace empowers us to live like Jesus, doing justice, it's only then that we will have the impact on the world that Jesus saved us to have in the influence in the world where the people of our city will see our good works and say, what is that about? Why do you care? Why do you do that? And we say, Jesus. And we point them to him as we share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. This is the call, Doxa. He has told us, Doxa, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God, as we sit here, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just sear this into our hearts. Would we not be a people that James describes, that look at ourselves in the mirror, see what we look like, but then walk out and forget? But will we be a people who stare into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of the gospel? And would we hear you? And would you allow us to be like you for the sake of the world? Everything we do is an overflow of the gratitude that we have because of what you've done for us. And as our Father and as our King, we hear your words and we say yes. Even if it costs me something, I'll follow you. God, let us be that kind of church. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna sing, but guys, As you sing, or as you sit, whatever you need to do, the words that you sing should stir your heart. Not to just raise your hands and thank God for all that he's done. Yes, do that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But to stir your heart to move you out of this place into Monday with the words that you heard God speak to you and pray that he would give you the grace and the power to act on it. And so, you can sit, you can stand, just ask God to just sear that into you and allow you to move from Sunday to Monday with the word of God. 
changing your heart and affecting the way that your mouth speaks, your hands work, and your feet move.